0: When I started having symptoms, I absolutely couldn't let anybody know because it's almost like what they expect of women is to have a hard time and not be able to handle this stuff. I felt like, I almost felt like I was letting women firefighters down everywhere. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. Media.
1: From Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighter's Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again for another edition of Code 3. You are listening to the show for and about firefighters. Let's get started. Many firefighters are well aware of the pain of post traumatic stress disorder. They're also often familiar with the stigma that comes with it. We've talked about PTSD and that stigma on this show before, but it's maybe twice as hard to endure them when the firefighter suffering from it is a woman. PTSD has been seen as a sign of weakness, and to some degree, it still is. The judgment can even come from firefighters who are experiencing PTSD themselves. Today's guest is a woman who left the fire service after she experienced it in a severe form. How severe? She even considered suicide. Christy Warren is a retired captain for the Berkeley, California Fire Department. She has 25 years of service as a paramedic, 17 as a firefighter. She was diagnosed with PTSD in May of 2014. Now, Christy works with West Coast Post-Trauma Retreat. And Christy Warren joins me now. Welcome to Code 3.
0: Thank you, Scott. Thank you so much for having me.
1: It's good to have you. It's an important topic. How did your PTSD begin to manifest itself?
0: I had a uh, fatal fire and my behavior started changing where I was kind of more agitated and uh, I just couldn't stop talking about that call and thinking about that call. And then I stopped sleeping. I just couldn't sleep at all. I was wide awake all the time. I started having nightmares. I started having a lot of anxiety. Like every time the tones would go off at work, even if it was just for like a leaking hydrant or something, My anxiety would just go through the roof, which was just not like me at all. And then I started having, uh, like, I call it like a videotape of crappy calls over the last 25 years that would just start playing in my head over and over and over. And, you know, stuff I hadn't thought about in 20 years would pop up. So that's really how it it all started. And I had no idea what was happening to me. So
1: you, you didn't recognize it as PTSD at that point?
0: No, not at all. Not at all.
1: Now, we know that PTSD in firefighters is often viewed as a weakness, which is why it's stigmatized. Was it tougher to deal with it as a woman?
0: Yeah, actually, Scott, it really was. You know, I worked really hard to never be the weak link in the chain. You know, I always wanted to be one of the toughest people out there. I had a friend at the very beginning of the fire service who said, you know, women rarely make it to retirement, and he wasn't being malicious at all. He was just kind of stating a fact and I remember him saying that and I said, not me, I'm going to make it. So when I started having symptoms, I absolutely couldn't let anybody know because it's almost like what they expect of women is to have a hard time and not be able to handle this stuff. I'm sure it's extremely hard for a guy to uh, admit to it or talk about it, but I felt like, I almost felt like I was letting women firefighters down everywhere.
1: That's an awful lot to take on your shoulders.
0: Yeah, it, yeah, it really, it was, but that's kind of, that's how I felt.
1: So how did you deal with it at first?
0: So at first I, I ignored it. I just, it's funny, I'd start Googling online, like, you know, what, like, what to do about anxiety and how to slow your breathing down. And so I, all, all that stuff, nothing really worked. It took about, I'd say six months after that fire, and finally it was like, something's wrong with me, I, I've got to go fix this because I just can't. I can't, I can't be like this anymore. So I went and I saw a therapist just kind of went in there and said like, something's wrong. You got to fix me. And of course (laughs) I didn't tell anybody. And, um, she said, you know, you, you have PTSD. And I was like, you know, there's no way that would never happen to me. So then I just started going to therapy. Like I said, hoping to fix it. And I continued working and kind of did that for, don't know, like another five or six months.
1: When did you realize that you couldn't deal with it by yourself?
0: Uh, all my symptoms started getting worse. I started crying at work, and I'm i am not a crier. I never cry. Unless I get really, really angry, then I might cry. But I'm just not a crier at all. And after calls, I'd start crying. And I'd get in my car to go home after a shift. The second I turned out of the station driveway, I'd start crying. So one morning I got off and I said, all right, I'm not going to cry I'm going to hold my, you know what, together all the way home. And uh, so I did, and I made it all the way home, and I was like, all right, I got this. And then uh, I went to go play tennis with a friend. So I got in my car, and I started driving across town, and all of a sudden, I just got absolutely flooded, and I was ready to kill myself. I was going to drive into My plan was I like was going to drive into a tree or a pole so I wouldn't have to tell anybody that I was too weak to do my job and I wouldn't have to go back to work. And and I was like, even if I just end up in a coma for three months, it would just give me a break from this. And I could not go back to work without having to tell anybody that I was too, you know, so-called weak to do my job. And that's when I realized I got to do something for real.
1: You know, that's a horrible story, but I have to almost laugh because it takes a first responder to want to kill themselves in a way that absolutely will not hurt anyone else.
0: (laughs) That's funny. That's exactly right. And that's one of the things that kept me from actually doing it was um, I was like, all I'm going to do is cause some other first responders a bunch of misery when they're going to have to go pull my wrecked body out of a car. (laughs) And And I didn't want to do that to them.
1: How did you finally get effective treatment? What worked?
0: I kept going to therapy, and I had a really great therapist who used to be a police officer, so she really understood. And then um, I started going to EMDR, and that that helped like a little tiny bit. And then I just continued to kind of uh, circle the drain. And Oh, I stopped going to work. I finally turned in paperwork to take work off. And then I kept getting worse and worse, and I finally – picked up the phone and called a place called the West Coast Post-Trauma Retreat run by the First Responder uh, Network Support Group. And they have a retreat that's only for first responders with PTSD. It's a one-week retreat, and there's six clients, so there's six police officers or firefighters or flight medics or what have you. And then there's usually about 12 to 15 peers, so other first responders who've been through the program and who've had PTSD and going through that program, I learned so much about PTSD, and I realized I wasn't alone, and here were all these really, really tough guys and gals that were struggling with the same thing I was, and that that was really the turning point for me was, like I said before, realizing that uh, I wasn't alone in this And then learning everything else about the uh, PTSD.
1: When you walked into your first session there at West Coast, how did you react?
0: It's funny. So everybody gets there on a Sunday afternoon, and I came in, and I did what I usually do to people, and I judged everybody. (laughs) You know, it's like you size people up so I could, like, figure out for me whether— it was okay for me to be there or not. So, you know, there were some smaller women there and I immediately judged them as being weak. And then there were some, you know, big, very tough looking guys there that I said, okay, these guys are here, then it's okay for me to be here and still not be considered weak. So that's what I pretty much did the first day I was there. And then I, I learned very shortly afterwards that that was very, uh, all that was very untrue.
1: So what you're saying is for your own well-being, you put them on a scale and said, well, if these guys have it, then I can fit into the scale somewhere.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: It must have been difficult. Now, I noticed that you didn't say anything about going to your department or your, your city government or whatever to do this. You did it all outside.
0: Yeah, it did. Our department had, um, at the time had absolutely nothing in terms, I mean, they have EAP, but, uh,
1: they did have EAP.
0: Yeah. I think that's required by law, at least in California. But, uh, other than that, they had absolutely nothing in place or they never, it was never talked about. Um, I was on some, you know, obviously anybody in their career, uh, went on some pretty serious calls in Berkeley and, and, uh, I never went to a debriefing or anything there. They never uh, one was never offered, never even thought about. Like I said, never talked about. I kept it pretty quiet. When I turned in my workers' comp paperwork so I could go off work, um, I met with the fire chief. And since being off, I had never heard from him at all. And so I got lots of support from you know my coworkers. But but in terms of, yeah, the department itself, there was there was nothing
1: available. So why did you have to take retirement?
0: Because I was not my all the people, my therapists and doctors deemed that I should not go back to work. That was a really hard thing for me. I really wanted to go back to work. But we kind of realized that even once I got better, that going back to work would just it just taking the hits again you know they they liken to you know seeing trauma or being in trauma is almost like taking a baseball bat to the head um i mean it, it truly is a physiological injury, and if I went back and sustained more of those it, you know the the full throngs of p t s d would come back and even be worse. It's like, I know I could go back and do my job. It's just what would happen to me afterwards. These days, do you still get triggered? It becomes less and less. They say it never really goes away. I'll still get triggered. Like, for example, I had a pretty crummy call involving an Alhambra water truck. And um, so whenever I see an Alhambra water truck, it will kind of trigger that memory. And, you know, before it would send me into you know full spin and anxiety and panic attacks and And now I just see it and I'll say, okay, well, you know, there's that call. And then I move on. I don't get as triggered much anymore. I'm doing really well. It's taken several years of a lot of hard work, but I'm doing pretty well now. How much do you
1: miss being a firefighter or do you you look back at it and think of it as something painful?
0: I can't even begin to tell you how much I miss it. I miss it so much. I would love to go back. I really enjoy sleeping at night and, you know, not being cold and wet and miserable and, all that other stuff that goes with it, but I, I really, really miss it. Like I, if I could go back to work and be okay, I, I would do it in a heartbeat. Do
1: you think some degree of PTSD is inevitable in firefighters, or do you think it only happens to certain people?
0: I, I think it, I think being affected it is inevitable. I don't think you can be a human being and not be affected. Um, but I think PTSD is not inevitable. Like I said. And that was a big thing I learned that helped me uh, get better. Is that it? It it, re- it really is a physiological injury. It's almost like cancer. You know, the cancer rates of firefighters is extremely high. So it's not inevitable that you're going to get cancer, but your chances are are pretty high if that makes any sense. But yeah, PTSD is a is a true physiological injury. Your your brain changes shape. The chemicals it produces change. If you look at a brain that has PTSD on a brain scan and then a normal brain. Um, they look very different. So it's it's not really inevitable. But like I said, I don't, I don't think you can walk away from this job without being affected.
1: You know, it's interesting you use the word normal as in normal brain. Do you feel like you have um, an abnormal brain or a brain injury
0: or what? No, I, as soon as I said normal, I, said, I probably shouldn't have said that. But no, I don't feel like I have an abnormal brain at all. I I feel like I have... I feel like, like I've had a head injury, not an abnormal brain, just an injured brain. And that
1: injury was something that you couldn't control, which I think is what people need to understand if they want to sit in judgment, the fact that you didn't choose to have this happen. And really, given your job, I don't know that you could have avoided it in any way.
0: No, you're you're absolutely right. So like my PTSD was really cumulative. It wasn't just that, that one fatal fire kind of liken it to you have a box. We all have a like a box in our head, you know, you go on a crummy call and you put it in the box and you close the lid, you know, and then you move on. And ev- I think everybody's boxes are different sizes. It's just the, you know, one day when that fatal fire came is that was what filled my box up and I, I, it was full. I just couldn't do it anymore. But like you said, you don't, we don't have control over it. It's, there's really nothing you can do about it.
1: You said you never heard back from your chief after you took leave. Do you think the department should have handled it differently or do they handle things differently now?
0: They handle things extremely differently now. When I went off work, there was another guy there that and he's very well respected and he went off work due to PTSD. And when that happened, actually our union said we gotta do something because we can't we don't wanna lose any more members. So they actually put together a, a peer counseling unit, and I'm really proud of them. They really did it right. It's, it's seeing a lot of success right now. I, I hear back from people saying that they talked to somebody or, you know, people, people have talked a lot about it, and uh, they're seeing really good results.
1: It's good that something good came of it. It's, it's unfortunate that it came at your expense, but at least you were able to find the silver lining.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I had a good long career too. I I did my I did twenty five years so so I had a good career.
1: All right, Christy Warren. Thanks for being on Code Three with me today.
0: Oh thank you so much, Scott. I really appreciate talking with you. And thanks again for thanks for all you do for firefighters. I think it's so great that you do this podcast.
1: Christy experienced PTSD and it cost her a career she loved. Do you have any signs of PTSD yourself? What are you doing to address them? How do you help others deal with it? You can leave your comments on our website at code3podcast.com slash help. There are links to more resources there as well. This show would not be possible without the support of the super fans who have made a pledge at our Patreon page. Why not join them? It's easy. Head over to code3podcast.com slash support, and if you donate $10 a month or more, you'll get instant access to the Code 3 Bull Sessions. They're extra content we make available exclusively to patrons. So make your pledge today. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I sure hope you'll be here too. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's topic, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to code3podcast.com.